Ah, hello everybody. Welcome along to another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. This is another of our Q&A editions. You do the Qs, we do the As. I am Aaron Noonan. He is Will Dar. Will, welcome. We are going to answer some questions and I tell you what, we've done a couple of call-outs on socials this week. We've got some zingers. I hope you've come prepared with your bat ready to take some swings over the fence because there's some tricky ones. Over square leg, over deep cover. Wherever. Mid-on, mid-off, yep. silly mid-off. Let's yep. go. Yep, reverse sweep for six into the members' <laughs> pavilion. That's a good shot if you can manage to nail that one. Let's roll straight in. Uh, we get a huge abundance of questions for our Q&A podcast, so thank you to everybody who has taken the time to send them through on socials. We, we're sorry, we can't get to all of them. Uh, there's some that are just too hard. There are, there are some also that are a little absurd, but there are plenty that are really interesting. And our first one actually came through this week, Will, um, on email, and this one got us digging. Which team has recorded the most front row lockouts in the history of the Australian Touring Car Championship and, of course, the Repco Supercars Championship, as it's now known. Now, I'd have to reckon it's got to be a modern era team because of the sheer number of qualifying set. You know, we qualify for every race, so there's far more opportunities than in the day of qualify once, race three times where you, you know, start where you finish the previous race. Mm. It's got to be triple eight, doesn't it, by a mile? By, by, yes, pretty much by a mile. 45 times triple eight has locked out the front row. Jeez. Next best is the Holden Racing Team through its iterations. Now, that's sort of an interesting one because mm-hmm. I reckon if you went pound for pound, they would be up there beating Triple Eight if they're in a different era. Because, of course, the whole one qualifying session per every race is basically 09. 09, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, HRT, yeah, they did some polls and some winning in the years after that, but nothing like they were in mm. the first part of that decade. So, no. uh Surely DJR's got to be the next best. It's almost like you're reading off the list here because they, yeah, <laughs> they are next best. <laughs> well, given that they've had a few – well, they've had more as DJR Team Penske than as DJR. But, of course, there were so many qualifying sessions in the last four or five years versus, you know, what, eight, maybe nine in a year uh, in a championship exactly. year for Johnson and Bow in the Sierra days and the Falcon days. That's and they good. actually lost one, Johnson and Bow, or they have they had a one-two qualifying result – that doesn't count on this list because it was at Adelaide International Raceway in 1988, which had three, a 3-2-3 three, three. Three grid. So, Andrew Medecki was on the front row with them, so it doesn't count it's as a front, a front row lockout. not a front row lockout. lockout because you've got to get all three. Yeah. And I that would have happened a few times over the journey probably at AIR for other teams and other eras. So yeah. one of those, And Surface Paradise, remember, was the three, same two, format yes. there for, for many years, 3-2-3. Three, three. So, uh, yeah, interesting, isn't it? That's a cool question. I yeah. really like that So, one. just the final numbers on top. Triple Eight with 45, Holden Racing Team on 29, Dick Johnson Racing, DJR Team Penske on 27. After that, Ford Performance Racing slash ProDrive slash Tickford on 22. Then Gibson Motorsport on four, so a bit of a jump there. <laughs> um, Brad Jones Racing have three, and then there's a host of teams that have done it once. And the Gibson Motorsport numbers would be so much higher if they had qualified for every race and multiple races and all that stuff back in that era, but mm. you can only compare- what the numbers are, you can't compare the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Exactly. Well, you could, but you could be there <laughs> you for a while um, arguing things either way. Uh, next question. Matt Hayward, he's a regular listener. When and where was the first safety car used in the Australian Touring Car Championship? Now, it's actually probably more recent than you think. Yeah, because you think of the sort of 90s. It did happen in the 90s. In the 90s era, they're all sprint races, 
for the most part, but the first safety car didn't come until the V8 Supercars era in 1997 at Simmons Plains. In the wet. Yeah, yeah, when the conditions got so bad, they had to do something, <laughs> and they didn't stop the race. They threw the safety car out because they could. And that's 10 years after it first appeared at Bathurst. Mm. So, at Bathurst, it was a staple uh, from 87 onwards, but it was a, it just wasn't utilised because they were, you know, short races. So, yeah. And you can't- There aren't too many races throughout that period in between that were actually stopped. I can only think of maybe a handful, like Lakeside oh, 89 handful. got stopped. Yeah, I think Malala 96 was another that got stopped. Yeah, and they tended to stop them. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you had a safety car, you'd deploy it and fix it all up, clean it, one or two cars up. Malala 96, different case, half the field was crushed at <laughs> yes. uh, turn whatever it was, turn the one three. coming onto the back straight, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, exactly right. Hey, a little bit of a reminder too, Will, because Father's Day's coming up soon. Christmas is not that far away. I know it sort of seems like it is, but it's actually not really. Mm. Uh, you've got to get some presents. You've got to get onto it. Even if it's a present for yourself, uh, we're here to help because that's what we're all about. We're here Tax to help. Tax refund time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you can claim it, buy it. Uh, head to the website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. The link will be in the show notes. Uh, jump on there. We've got some new stuff coming. We've got some stuff that's just come out. Of course, our Perkins Engineering Car History book's not far away. Uh, coming together really well, looking really, really good. Mm. Some amazing stuff that you and Stefan have put together. Uh, Larry and Jack have been awesome. There's been so much help from car owners. It's it's really, really cool. Looking forward to seeing that one come out in a couple of months' time. Late September, early October, we'll have that one in our hot little hands. The 90s, Bathurst book too. That's one we announced recently. That'll be out in time for Christmas. A photo of every car from every year's great race from 1990 to 99. And yes, it has both the races from 97 and 98. They were all Bathurst 1000s. They were. And as a little bonus extra, the cars from the 99 Bob Jane T-Mart's Bathurst 500 Super Touring Race. Just as a – it's like a bonus DVD add-on extra. While we're here. We yeah, yeah. Well. while we're here. Yeah. And, and while we're here too, DVDs, 1994 Bathurst, the full race – out yeah. now. Bit of a favourite. Excited of about that. Yeah. yeah bit of a favourite. Have you watched it eight times yet? At least. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. You're word perfect on the commentary from that race, <laughs> aren't you? It's the bits in the ad break that you didn't see at the time that are really cool. So, like, the Peter Brock crash late in the race mm. happened during- Actually, I think it happened during, like, an hourly update. Oops. Bad um, And what you see in that that you don't see in the broadcast was how close- Tony Longhurst came to wearing the back of that HRT Commodore mm. when he came upon the scene because he was the next. Ca- he was the first car there. Some of the best, uh, most amazing vision in Bathurst history happened in the ad breaks, <laughs> and then it was rolled in as if it was live on a lot mm. of occasions. And that yes. happened in the the years that followed. And uh, what was it? Time shifting was the uh, the term that was used, and of course it <laughs> yes. caught a lot of people out at Bathurst uh, twenty ten. They were time-shifting the race through to the end. Craig Lands and Mark Scaife won, but TV viewers saw them win about 25 minutes later because, well, in that era, you-, you No you, Twitter, you, no, no real not social really, media. not really going. So, uh, I think to the point where there were still bets being taken on the race result based off what was happening uh, on the television. Of course, every time they went to an ad break, they'd pick it up at the next corner. But, mm. of course, you went three minutes or three and a half minutes- further into delay every time you took an ad break. So, although you were getting to see the whole race, you just weren't getting to see it fully live. And uh, someone made a lot of money that day. Yeah, yeah. That was that was one that got them jumping and it never happened again mm. uh, after that. Uh, do you want to find the next one? Yeah. This one's from Josh Cochran. What do supercars have to do to rebuild support in both New Zealand and Western Australia after cancelling their events for the second year in a row? 
That's, I, that's, that's a harsh. bit harsh, yeah. I, I don't think they've got to rebuild their support. Oh, I think fair and reasonable Kiwi and Western Australian supercars and motorsport fans know how and why. It's yeah. not because they're not loved because of where they're from. It's just been a scenario that's been thrust upon us with COVID. Mm. WA's obviously been very, very protective of its border and it's been a bit of a fortress within Australia. New Zealand, another country, cross a ditch of water during these times, that's tricky. Could uh, you imagine if all the teams got stuck in New Zealand after a New Zealand Kiwi round? fans would be stoked. Oh, yeah. You'd get 20 rounds in New Zealand. Booker Kelly 1,000. Oh, Shane would get to stay at home. Yeah. And- <laughs> yes. <laughs> at the Booker Kelly 1,000. Yeah. Having said that, I reckon New Zealand would be great if we're talking about, and clearly we need another enduro. And if they're mm. not going to bring the Sandown 500 back, which I doubt they will because they continually mm. uh, show uh, yo-yo-ness to the Sandown 500. It's on, it's up, it's down, it's, it's in, much it's like, out. Much like Sandown itself. It's Pre- sold, it's not, it's back, it's yeah, sold, yeah, it's yeah, not, pretty it's much. back. Yeah, pretty much. Let's let's go to New Zealand for an enduro. I like that. Book no shortage of tracks. Yeah, yeah. Like the good old days. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure we're going to get a Wellington 500 up, but yeah, let's, probably not. let's get a Pookie 500 up. But I don't think they're, I don't think supercars have to rebuild any support. I, I don't think they've done anything wrong. They've they've tried their best in the scenario mm. that's been placed upon them. So, and and it's think- like anything, like the, the fans in those areas have been starved of live V8 supercars for two years now. So well, when they the first, do come back, not the first time that WA's been starved of supercars. There was a, there was mm. this period there where we missed a year. Was it 2010? I think there was the year that there was no round there. So not the first time it's happened. Obviously, different reasons, different yes. scenario. But I think that the support's going to be there when those returns finally do happen. People will be happy to see yeah. racing back at Barbagallo and, of course, um, in New Zealand, whether it's at Pookie or Hampton Downs or wherever, both or whatever mm. happens. I don't think. Anyone who thinks that they've been slighted because they're from those two areas, um, I think you've been a bit harsh. I think that's that's way yeah. too harsh. Uh, Brenton Thorpe, what happened to racing at Queensland Raceway? I thought that was going ahead for the resumption of racing. Well, Speaking of tracks that are in, then out, then yeah. back out again. <laughs> sold, unsold, yeah. sold, unsold. Mm. Uh, well, well, basically, it just got to a scenario where things changed so quickly with, yeah. with all this COVID stuff. And that was the intention for everyone to get back from Townsville, uh, then head to Ipswich because Queensland was in a at the time okay position mm. uh, with COVID and and now it's not right now it's not yeah, yeah. so that, that's the simple fact of the matter Brenton there that that's um that's just how it is yeah and it, having like it's what an eleven week gap until the next race meeting now at Winter yeah I could grow a beard <laughs> you could yes it won't be pretty well but yeah it's a beard. there's a difference a beard's between a beard. could and should yeah yeah um correct. so. With that, that 11 weeks, hopefully the entire situation, all the COVID outbreaks in the various parts of Australia have calmed down or reduced significantly by then. And that hopefully will allow us to go racing in all these different places. And Queensland Raceway, I would assume, would still be a potential venue should any of the scheduled or TBA races fall over. Between yeah. now and the end of the season, with the exception of Bathurst, yeah, of course. Yeah, it starts to just depend on which end of the eastern seaboard is having the COVID drama as to which, which tracks pop up as. Yeah. Uh, who would have thought last year, given what we were going through in Victoria, that we'd be the ones with two yeah. rounds on the calendar in October? Uh, TBA. Well, TBA, but let's face it, we're <laughs> going to Phillip Island at the end of October. It's just a yes. case of being officially announced. Uh, it's it's just the nature of things, how they swing around and things move quickly, more quickly now than ever mm. with, with this COVID stuff. Every lap in under a minute 
means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable. Chassis question from Adrian Fuller. Adrian loves a chassis question or two. <laughs> this is a good one. Is Cool Drive back in their primary chassis that was crashed at the Mount Panorama 500? And also, is Will Brown still in EMH 02 or back in EMH 04, which he also crashed at the Mount Panorama <laughs> there 500? There was a bit of crashing going there on. There was a bit. And which will be the wild card that Erebus uses for Murphy and Stanaway? Bit to unpack there. Yes. Short answer, I believe Cool Drive is still in the spare chassis that they moved mm. to after Bathurst when Tim Slade pancaked the uh, number three car at the Mount Panorama 500. Uh, Will Brown swapped cars after that crash. He crashed at Bathurst in practice or qualifying? Practice, I think it was. Mm. Uh, and he's still in the car that he jumped into for the next round. So uh, that repaired car from Bathurst will become the Murphy wild card for the mountain mm. he and Richie Stanaway later in the year. So um, no real changes in chassis land there. So the changes were made after the crashes and they haven't gone back. Yes. So, um, so yeah, uh, one of the things we love is chassis history, no doubt about it, as mm. to where the metal has been and who has been in it and done what with it. So, But this is another good one. Jamie Quinn, pretty easy answer to it, but it, it – brings up the whole topic. If Scott McLaughlin makes Bathurst, mm. which a month or two ago we were all saying, well, he's not going Zero to. Zero percent chance. Then yeah. they move the date. And that opens up the chance <laughs> for him to join DJR for uh, the Repco Bathurst 1000. Jamie asks, if he makes Bathurst, do you think he'll be the primary driver as he will out-qualify Davo and Di Pasquale? Has this ever happened before the co-driver came in as the primary over the full-time driver? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> no to the first part because yes to the second part has happened before, just not at, not at Bathurst, I don't think. Well, co-driver can't take over from a primary driver because they are the co-driver. You're yeah, a nominated yes. co-driver. Yeah. There have been scenarios where the co-driver's been given the gig to yeah. qualify. Jack mm. Perkins did it for GRM uh, with Alex Premer. Yes. Uh, 2012, I think it was. Pretty rare. Mm. Um, but whoever, if Scott comes and drives at Bathurst, Whoever he drives with, Ryan's story sounds like he's being a little coy as to who drives with who. A little bit of old school who drives with who speculation, which mm. we don't get too much of these days because things are locked in so far out so early, generally. Yeah. Um, will and Anton will qualify those cars regardless. They're the drivers that are in the cars all year. And it's one thing, like, we all know Scotty was a gun qualifier when he was in supercars. He was in the cars week in, week out. And that's where that final couple of tenths comes from, especially at a track that requires so much commitment. We saw what happened, Christ, was that last year where Scotty crashed at the top of the mountain during practice? Which it one? was. Like in, in practice for the 1000, just before qualifying, the final session. Oh, before yeah, qualifying. yeah, the yeah. elbow. Yeah. I can't believe that was less than 12 months ago. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the level of commitment. And that's the sort of thing that can happen to a driver who's in the car all mm. the time. And we saw with Davo when he came back into the sport full time, he'd been out of the seat for most of a year and finding those last couple of tents in qualifying, takes a bit. it takes, takes a, a bit. bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when you are the, yes, you could, he could go and qualify. Mm. It's not against the rules for a yeah. co-driver to be given the opportunity to qualify a car, but um, he's there to be a, a co-driver. Yeah. Uh, albeit a very well-credentialed yes. qualified one. Uh, with a lot of current IndyCar experience, that's for sure. Uh, Dave Shelton, what chassis, love a chassis question, uh, are the Triple Eight boys running in Super 2? Uh, yes. So, Angelo Mazuris is in Triple Eight 
045, which is the car that Craig Lowndes ran in 2017. That's the car Brenton Grove raced in Super 2 in 2018, 2019. And yep. it's the same car Angelo was in That's last right. year. Yeah, yep. Brock Feeney is in 046, the car that Shane Van Gisbergen raced in 2017, and Kurt Kostecki raced that in Triple Eight Super 2 program the last couple of years. Yeah, Triple Eights and Kostecki Brothers and, racing yes. as well. Yeah, it's had a bit of an in and out sort of a scenario. Uh, he drove it last, I think, Adelaide. He did the first round last year mm. in Adelaide and then didn't do any more once the, the COVID stuff had, yeah. had struck. So, uh, yeah, there you go, Dale. That's what's going on with Triple Eight. Uh, Tom Doy, interesting question. Mm. Why are the commentary team talking about round points? Do you think they'll start awarding round wins again? I'd love to see rounds and progressive grids back in the championship and see the quicker cars fighting their way through the pack if they get unlucky in the first race. See, we can have progressive grids without have, without awarding round winners. We just have one qualifi- qualifying session to start the weekend, but I don't think that's going to happen. No. Um, it, it Round points is interesting because it does give you a better indicator of who's gone well over the course of the weekend from a championship perspective. Um, I personally like having race winners. I'm, I'm really glad that we went to that rather than having round winners, and I'm, I wouldn't look forward to it coming back. I think it's it's an important thing. It became more of a factor last year when they started playing the tyre game mm. of having effectively, like that race at uh, round City Motorsport yeah. Park was a joke. Like, seriously, Jack LeBrock won a race. It's in the record books. But if you put his effort at the bend to finish second, that was a better performance than his win. It, oh, yeah. it stands up high and it means more because that was tyre lottery draw. Well, it was absolute crap. It was still won the race. Uh, true, taking nothing away the game, from him. They played everyone the game had for that the race better than everyone their else. Way out. But when you have a race where every car on the grid doesn't have an equal or decent enough equal chance of winning, it was a joke. It was manufactured. Don't have an equal artificial. chance of winning because of the decisions they made prior to that point. No, no, but it doesn't matter what decision you make. It does. If everyone chooses the same, no, but you don't have strategy. a chance to win every race. If everyone chooses the same stra- tire strategy heading into that. But that's never going to happen because exactly. it was wound in a way that you can't. Exactly. So it's you can't you can't say it's an in- pub test. No. Does not pass the pub test. It does. He won the race. Doesn't pass the pub test. Doesn't pass. You might not test. like it, but he, he won the he, race. He, he did had, what he had to do to go win back that and look race. at the video. He was not getting wowed up and wooing and hooing because he won his first supercars race. History he won't knew, remember he that. Knew, he was, knew. He knew. He knew. He knew. Anyway, we're getting away from the point. I agree with you. I like that we, uh, you know, give race winners fair acknowledgement, mm. and I think it's a shame that we don't acknowledge the round winners anymore because it is important if you've performed the best over a weekend. But uh, I don't think they're going to change it. I no. don't think that that's going to happen. We've been doing it for over ten years now. So, well, if they award a trophy for the round winner, that confuses the narrative. You've got three, yeah, it's one or the other. Yeah, you're awarding race wins or round wins, like because otherwise, at the end of the at the end of the final race, you've got three people on the podium. Potentially, one of them has two trophies, or there's a fourth person holding a trophy. Yeah, and what what the thing was that they changed it for was that they had, and, and this is classic because people don't do the data. <laughs> And there was a feeling that, oh, there were so many round winners who weren't winning any races to win the round. You know, Mm. how can you win when you don't win kind of thing? That doesn't really pass the pub test, does it? Mm. True. I I would agree. Yeah. But it didn't happen that much. Mm. happened occasionally. And you could think of instances where it happened. Steve Richards in Perth, I think, in 2006 had a bunch of seconds and thirds. A few other times it's happened along the journey. But if you did the percentage of rounds for the 10 years before it or whatever it was, the percentage of round winners who didn't win a race that weekend was minimal. Hmm. So why change the whole thing 
and change a whole course of history in terms of how it's documented and recorded to suit something that, if you actually looked at the numbers, wasn't that most huge of an issue. There were bigger issues in supercars and there still are anyway. But the other thing where it doesn't work out, if you have the Darwin Triple Crown or the event insert event name here, mm. well, who's the winner of the insert event name here if you've got one driver that wins the Saturday, one driver wins the Sunday, but there's another bloke who actually scored the most points for the weekend? Well, you do what they did at Clipsal. Last person wins. Yeah, that doesn't even pass the pub <laughs> test either. It's a lot of pub testing going on here. Um, mm. I'm going to have to go to the pub. <laughs> it's 9.40. Settle down. As we record this, it is a little early. It's 12 o'clock somewhere in the world, though, Will. It's 12 <laughs> yes. o'clock somewhere in the world. Uh, what's next? Uh, <laughs> Still <laughs> recovering pub, from that. That's what yeah, nice, nice. Um, Jacob Smith, what happens to the old safety cars? Oh, good question. Yeah. I imagine a lot of them would have just gone back to the dealership. Not all of them, but several of them probably would have. Yeah, well, there's been so many safety car deals over the years in supercars. Mm. Remember remember they had a deal with Nissan for about eight seconds with the <laughs> Nissan GTR, but there was 4X beer on it. So I think Nissan went, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't want to do that, and that deal fell High apart. High-performance car with an alcohol sponsor. Yes. Um, High-performance road car, I should say. Yeah. Um, Not the first time a Nissan's been a safety car. Well, in fact, the very say- first safety cars at Bathurst in 1987 – were Nissan's. Uh, Nissan Pintara, I think, from memory. And one of them broke. Yeah, they had two. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, they probably needed about eight of them. Mm. But then the thing that springs to my mind is that the 1992 Bathurst pace car, which was a Nissan GDR, mm. became this cool story the Falcon Tires Nissan GDR production car <laughs> that raced in the 12 hour all of what, five months later? That's great, isn't it? That would have never. Uh, someone beat that. Well, the 12-hour winning car in that race that the GTR took part in was then the safety car at the following Bathurst. Good call. The Mazda. It <laughs> yeah, was the too. Mazda RX-7. It was too. If Well, if it wasn't the winning car, it, it was, was the sister yeah. car. So First it, or second it, place car. It was like car. carrying yeah. the baton down the line. Yeah. If you get to be the safety car at this one, then you race at that one. And if you win that race, you can be the safety car at the next one. Mm. And then the, that sort of ended. But yes. I think there was what? Holden Jackaroos. Holden Jackaroo, one, one of which was, I think, a round Australia trial winning yeah, Jackaroo or Bruce Safari Garland winning one. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, a bunch of Commodores. Yeah, and later on, once. Gold Commodore. Yeah. And once this V8 supercar era sort of started, there was clearly dedicated safety cars every year to, you know, sponsors yeah. and. Bush there was safety a, car. There was a Chrysler Hemi WPS yep. thing that I reckon must have just. That thing went for like a you lot, wouldn't yeah. believe. Um, I feel like that I'd was love, around for a long time. Yeah, it was. I'd love to know any of our listeners own a car that they think might have been a safety car back in the day or know it was. Mm. Love to hear from you. I'd be interested to dig in the photo files and check some rego plates and <laughs> see what we find. It's funny because you think like the Indy 500 pace car has always been such a big deal. Like manufacturers would have like multiple release versions of the car from the year. It's- just not really been a thing in Australia. It's not really. No, not even close. Opportunity being missed here. Pace car sleuthing. Safety car sleuthing. <laughs> Safety car sleuthing. There's probably a few to, to run through. Well, we know we, we know one of them at least. The Nissan. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. potentially the Mazda. Yeah, that's true. Well, if, if, if anyone out there does have a safety car, mm. love to hear from you. Yeah. Drop us a line through our website, v8sleuth.com. Dot au uh, or through the socials, you know where to find us. I think that's tickled my fancy so much, Will, that I'm going to give that our motorsport trader 
Question of the week. There's no prizes up for grabs. It's just the chest beating. So, Jacob Smith, congrats. Well done. You have got our Motorsport Trader. Question of the week. Of course, you can visit the team at themotorsporttrader.com. They are keeping your motorsport memories alive with a range of panels and suits and car parts and all sorts of memorabilia, supercar stuff, GT stuff. Even a bit of old Formula One stuff's popping up in there now. Mm. Uh, Luke and the team have got some really cool stuff. So, head on to their website, themotorsporttrader.com. Com. And, of course, if you've got anything that you're looking to sell, uh, they handle consignment stuff too. So uh, if it's all too hard for you to deal with, make it their problem. Yeah. <laughs> They've got the active audience. They, yeah. they will have yeah. someone who will want your thing. Yeah, that's right. So if in doubt, handball out. That's, yes. the, uh, <laughs> that's the go. Yes. Uh, David Cowley. What, uh, David Cowley, what happened to the Bundaberg Red Racer that Fab's tumble dried through the chase back in 2010, was it a write-off or was it resurrected? It was resurrected, but it has never has not returned in a racing capacity. Mm. Is probably the best way to answer it. So that car was rebuilt and came back as a. Um, it was actually at racetracks the following year, still in Bundaberg colours, but as like a pit stop challenge. Yeah, thing change the, the wheels and all yeah. that sort of jazz. Yeah, on display. Yeah, but it never it ne- has not raced again since. No, and that's uh, with a private collector, I understand, in Melbourne with a long-term restoration plan. Hmm. But I think the thing with that car, that was Walkinshaw chassis, WA008 from memory off the top of my head. That was Garth Tander's car in 2008 hmm. uh, for Holden Racing Team, the year that he won the LNH 500 with Mark Scaife. He won the Winton round when they had that three-way tie with Wing Cup, Will Davison and, and Garth. Um, so is that Mark Scaife's last HRT winning car? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, didn't win again after that. Yeah. That was his last win. So, um, yeah, and that car won a lot of races that year, but didn't win the championship, yeah. didn't win Bathurst, so it's kind of a bit forgotten. So if you did have that car, albeit it's best known for its Fabian flip-flip. <laughs> best known for being upside down yeah. in a million pieces. But if you looked at its history, you'd put it back to HRT car. Surely, I'd, surely. I'd reckon. But yeah, it was a good-looking livery that year too. Yeah, yeah, the, the fluoro-y yeah, red like and white. Nod to 88 sort of deal. yeah. Bit of yeah. that going on, yeah. No, cool car, but yeah, it, it still exists. It's mm. it's not dead. It's it's still around. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego the number two, and oil, and find out. Next question from Brendan Hartzer. Whatever happened to the pack leader EF Falcons that were raced in 1996 by Alan Jones and Paul Romano? And a second part to that question. Are the two Alan Jones cars which caught fire at Lakeside in 1995 and at Bathurst in 1996 still around? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes. <laughs> Smolderingly, yes. Yeah. Uh, short version, uh, the Alan Jones 96 pack leader barbecue car mm. became Jason Bright's 1998 Bathurst winning car. Mm. So from barbecue to Bathurst winning two years, yeah. it's always handy. Uh, that's in the hands of a private collector now, so that car is still around. The Paul Romano car, the 201 pack leader car, I don't think anybody else has raced with 201 on their so, car yeah. before or since. Or uh, 301 for that matter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That became Mark Larkham's car the next year when he – maybe he'd been running his own car mm. and then went in with the Stones for the following season. So he just slipped into what had been the Romano car and then that ended up um, shunted down at Phillip Island in a pretty big way off the start line and tasting the earth bank mm. uh, on the run down there. They put together another car for him to get through the rest of that year. But the Romano car did 
get salvaged and, and race um, later on over the journey. Uh, it's with a private collector up in Queensland. And the Alan Jones uh, other fire car, there were a few, hard to keep up with them, um, <laughs> yes. was a PJ car and that one still exists as well. So they didn't burn to the ground and gone forever. They all find a way to survive and, and live on, which is uh, pretty much a lot of the times whether it's been crashes or fires and you think these cars are gone mm. or going to be gone, they survive. They find a way. They're very good. They're, <laughs> yes. You know, they're like the nuclear cockroaches, you know. They just keep on finding a way. Uh, uh, Brett Pitfield's question, where and what is Mark Osler up to these days? Well, you see him a bit online, don't you, with plenty of his content in Shannon's land? Yeah, he does a lot of work with the Shannon's Club, a lot of feature writing. Of course, Mark, long-time commentator back in the days of the Australian Touring Car Championship in the early days of V8 Supercars, founding editor of Australian Muscle Car Magazine. Which would you believe? Next year is 20 years since You're that mag kidding. started. 2002. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's incredible. I feel old. <laughs> really, yes. I do. No, same. I remember when I, I think I think the first edition, the first issue of that that I bought was issue three about the um, the supercar scare in 72. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Worth a bit, those early editions, uh, particularly the originals. They did do mm. reprints of some of those first ones, but if you've got some of those tucked away, you're- yeah, you're going all right. If I see him on eBay though tomorrow, I know that you took you took my advice and went a bit too far with it. And, uh, <laughs> well, I don't have issue one it. and two, so if I have done that, well, I'll lucky, take yours. I was going to say I'll go check where else have gone <laughs> from the office if they so happen to uh, accidentally turn up. Yeah. I have asked Marco to come on the podcast, and he I think should. he's, he's, he's a little reluctant. Should. He's a bit reluctant. Um, he is a busy guy. He's got plenty of content mm. to create out there at the moment. He's got plenty going on in his world with his family. Um, uh, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying to find some time to rope him in and get him to sit down in front of a microphone for an hour and have a chat. I think he's a very humble guy. He doesn't really mm. talk himself up too high and hard, which he should because he's done some cool stuff and been to uh, some cool places over the journey. So I think we should uh, Like he was there at the start for, for a magazine that has now lasted 20 years and has been a key part of- In like, this world, that's pretty yeah, good effort. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Next question from David Roberts. Should Motorsport Australia award the title of Australian Grand Prix to, to the proposed S5000 race at Mount Panorama? I've heard a bit of this uh, sentiment in recent times about if there's no Formula One Grand Prix, that if there can be the Grand Prix title attached to an S5000 race, it should be. I reckon it's probably, it it's, probably can't be. It, it's, it's wishful guess, thinking. Yeah. It's, it's romanticism at its finest. But it's not going to happen. There'd be so many clauses in the contract yeah. with Formula One to prevent the words Australian Grand Prix being used in any sort of motorsport context outside of the Formula One Australian Grand Prix. I just don't see how that no. could happen, which is a shame because it would be cool if a independent Australian Grand Prix could be run Independent of Formula One, yeah, awarded to win back, back to where time. it was once upon a time. It wasn't a Formula One World Championship race. Yeah. It was a Formula Five Thousand race. It was run to Tasman era regulations. Formula Pacific. It's been a bit of everything yeah. over the journey. But there's a reason why, it, you know, apart from Bob Jane at Calder, it was pretty much on its knees. No one cared about it. It was the thing that was on at ten a.m. Sandown September Sunday morning mm. before the touring cars rolled out, which people turned up for. So. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why why these things don't happen anymore. But I, yeah, it, it's I love the romanticism in David's question and the viewpoint of of many who've thought this. But uh, 
yeah, good luck getting through all those clauses. Yeah. Ben Wilkinson, when was the last time a new model or brand of car was introduced halfway through a season? And I'm presuming he's talking about supercars. Mm. It, you have to go back quite a while. It was the VT Commodore, which was introduced yeah. with three rounds to go in the 1998 championship. And it was introduced at that particular point because Holden had wanted it to race at the Bathurst 1000 that year, naturally. And as part of the agreement between CAMS and Tiger to allow that to happen, they had to, it was agreed that they had to run in the last three rounds of the Australian Touring Car Championship to, to dem- not fudge. <laughs> exactly. Basically. To demonstrate they weren't going to turn I up at Bathurst. I thought you were going to dance around and went, no, I'll just no, no, go no, no, straight no, no. in. Yeah. Straight in. To, to make sure they didn't turn up at Bathurst with a rocket ship. Um, and one of the clauses in that was that the car had to be driven by whichever team decided to run the VT. The car had to be driven by the driver of that team that was highest in the championship points at the time, mm. which the two teams that debuted, of course, Holden Racing Team and Perkins Engineering. And their two drivers were the two championship mm. contenders, mm. Craig Lowndes and Russell Ingle. And Larry fought it vigorously. Jeff Gregg fought it vigorously. Mm. So, they won first up because Greg they Murphy drove at Calder and Larry Perkins mm. drove his new car at Calder. But then for the next round at Darwin- it was uh, forced upon them that they had to put the their hot shoes, their championship combatants, Lowndes and Ingle, into the VTs. And, of course, as it turned out, uh, Ingle had a good run in Darwin and Lowndes had a better run at Oran Park and finished it off and, and won the championship. And um, Larry and Russell won Sandown and the Pertec Falcon won Bathurst, although the HRT car was probably the, the fastest car on the day. So, yes, 1998, Ben, that mm. was the day that race three got canned because it was too wet. Murph went out in the VT, splashed around, and drove it straight back to the garage <laughs> in the paddock. <laughs> no, thank it you. Up and they said, <laughs> no, thank Righto, you. let's call it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's done, so we're done. Uh, that was it. Uh, I was there that day. Um, Still drying out? Pretty much, yeah. That was- Wet day at Calder, that would have been cold well, as well, wasn't it? wasn't even a wet day for the whole day. It was only for that True. part. It only came before that third and final V8 race, and it shut it all down. So- uh, yeah, Because who doesn't love driving a touring car on VHT compound oh, in the wet? Yeah. Calder wasn't a very good track for racing, really. And then in the wet, ugh, yeah, no, nah, not that flash. Uh, Dave Dukas asks, how far do cars get pulled down or serviced between events? Well, simple answer, very. They pull yeah. them right apart. These things, you wouldn't recognize it as a race car if you walked in the workshop a week or two after a round. Then mm. Everything's out. Everything's being lifed. Everything's being serviced, replaced, repaired, um, checked, double-checked. They go right through it. Yeah. They they definitely make full use of the time in between rounds that's available to Got them. a bit at the moment, just quietly. <laughs> yeah. Those cars are going to be in such good condition when they roll out at Winton. Yeah, they'd want to be. No excuses uh, for anyone who's got anything that's not quite right on them. There's been uh, just a little bit of time. Troy Allen, next question. How many drivers have won the championship but never gone on to win the 1,000 at Bathurst? Or let's say the 500 in the years yeah. that it was, a, it was a 500. It's a pretty small club, but it's- some pretty heavy hitters in there. Yeah, well, it's smaller after last year because Shane Van Gisbergen was on this list but got, got himself it. off it. Yeah. yeah. Got so out there, of the club. So there's now seven drivers on this list, one of whom can um, get themselves off it potentially this November. Uh, David McKay, the 1960 championship winner, did not win the great race. Um, Bill Pitt also didn't win the great race. Norm Beachy. Renowned as a touring car racer, but- Wasn't really into the great race. No, nah, serious did production wasn't his thing, really. No, did a little bit of it in the Armstrong 500 days at Phillip mm. Island and stuff like that. But at a time when the touring car championship and Bathurst were separate in terms mm. of the rules and the types of cars that raced. So, he was kind of in that era, but Bathurst never really floated his boat. No. Uh, Robbie Francovic? 
yep. championship winner in the Volvo, but yeah, never really got a good crack at the great race. Not really. I only went there once with the Volvo. He um he didn't quite, yeah, he yeah. didn't quite make it there the, no. the following year with Volvo. <laughs> he was in a different car. Well, that was the year he won the championship. So exactly, how, how yeah. would that be? That'd be like, you know, um Shane Van Gisbergen wraps up the championship and gets sacked before the first endurance race of the year. I mean yeah. that that's the modern day equivalent which would make the stories and the headlines spin for months on end, but it happened back in the day. That's it when really did. that's those were the glory days, Will, when, you know, teams got drivers sacked mid season and oh yes, that was that was the good stuff. It was good stuff. Those were the days. We we miss it. Well, Your calls and questions well, can be addressed too. We, but one of the things that we we struggle with, we don't have ins and outs. That's one no. of the greatest yeah. parts of the football news cycle every week is players injured, players suspended, player debuting, player coming up from the VFL or the you know the second league yeah. in the NRL. Uh, it's one of the, the things that fuels the whole news cycle. So hmm. we just don't have that because we have pretty much a stable, solid crew of 24, 25 drivers exactly. right throughout the course of the year and doesn't really, really often change. Yeah, and to a, to a large extent, crew members are the same and also not as high profile as the players on the pa- yeah. AFL players or Correct. rugby league players on the paddock. Exactly. So the um, that's four. That is four. The other three are Glenn Seaton, yep, Marcus Ambrose, yep, and James Courtney. Yes, he's the one who's got the chance to get himself off that list um, later on in the year. I don't think he's going to get off that list. Well, he's got as much chance as everyone else at this point. Uh, I wouldn't say he does. Why would he have just as much chance? Well, no one's no one's does started he, the does, race yet. Yeah, I know, but he, there's no one's guys won it in yet. faster potential cars with better co-drivers. Yeah. He's in a Tickford car. Those have gone pretty well at the mountain. He didn't well, do a bad job did. last year. Well, he one got smoked did. by the bloke in car six. Mm. They all did. Yeah. So it's, yeah, no. Nah. No, nah. Courtney's not winning Bathurst. He's not getting off that list. Lock it in. James, the phone number you need to ring is. Oh, no, no, no. He can, he can ring if he likes, but he ain't going to win Bathurst. He, he's, his best chance to win Bathurst was in the Stones cars. It's the closest he got. And he couldn't yeah, quite get it done. Got on the podium, what, three times in a row? Six, seven, and eight? Yep. Yep. With Glenn and, and Bessie. Has, he's been up there since with Jack Perkins. But I can't see that he's in a position to be you – know, you're right. Anything can happen at that race. But I can't yeah, saying I someone can't, can't, can't win see, is a very big call. I, I can't see I can't see that he's going to win it. Okay. I can't see he's going to win it. Next question from Elliot Beaton. How did the deal work out for Noons to host the CMS DVD releases? Wouldn't this have been awkward if you'd asked yourself that question? Yeah, that question? would have been really stupid, wouldn't yeah. it? We, we, <laughs> it's almost like we planned that one. Yeah, you would have got a question and answer off. You'd be just sitting there having a yeah. cup of tea. Uh, no real great story behind this one. Um, I had seen that the Chevron Motorsport guys were releasing DVDs, obviously off the back of previous era of VHSs, and a lot of it was the same stuff repackaged. And I simply told them that there's more stuff than you know that exists. They thought that they'd kind of tapped it all out and there wasn't anything left. But with what I was doing at the time, and this is 2012-ish, 11, mm. 12, uh, with supercars, my time on supercar TV, so Channel 7 era, yeah. being in the archive at 7, doing some V8 Extra stuff and other bits and pieces, alerted me to the fact that there was – more stuff there that just hadn't been touched. And it was in Melbourne, so I was in Melbourne, so I was mm. able to see some of it. So had a bit of a chat to them, told them what was there, proposed what we could do. I'll sift through it. I'll figure out what goes on each release. I'll host them. I'll script them. 
I'll do all the bits, they'll do the rest, make it all happen, and uh, here we are. I think we've probably released, ooh, 50, 60 titles over There's the course of nearly the last decade. A so, lot of good stuff, a lot of good Bathysts. A lot of good Bathysts that people thought were long gone. Yeah, that's right, and, and the full race version. So mm. when, we, when we say that, it's including the ad break vision. Mm. So you didn't see it on the day because you were watching ad breaks. So if you've recorded the race from... Back in the day on your VCR or whatever, there's vision you haven't seen because yeah. the cameras were still filming and it was being recorded. But um, you can ride along if, with Peter Brock in the BMW M3 when he as he looks the, down and yeah. hits the tire. <laughs> oh, you've beaten me to it. It's yeah. one of the. Um, that's probably the greatest uh, little mystery of how that happened. He wasn't looking out the, the front of the windscreen. Mm. In 88, the BMW had the in-car camera down in the passenger footwell pointing back up. You might remember Crompton did the big spool backwards and forwards with Doug Mulray and Wilco yeah. and Raymond and Brock later on in the day. But if you look at the and, – and you can buy it. The 1988 Bathurst in full is um, available from our website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com. The new 94 Bathurst is the latest one, 95 and 96 coming out a little bit later this year, not too far away. But Brock's looking down in the car, and then there's this big bang, and he's cleaned <laughs> up a tire sitting Fair on enough. the Conrad on Conrad Strait on the road. And he says in the interview afterwards, "Oh, you know, I looked up and there was this tire. He didn't look up. He belted it. Yeah. Like he dead set just smashed it." Can, without you looking. can you imagine if the camera feed had actually been coming from the headlight cam that was in the grill of the BMW M3 <laughs> at the time, and it just comes it comes over the rise and just drives straight into this tire? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah would have been be hard action, to explain. Action replay, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, next question, staying on the um, CMS DVD theme, is from Matthew Davis. Are there any plans with CMS to release more races on DVD from the 1995 season? Enjoyed the best of 1995 volume and would like to see some more. It was a good year. Well, it was a good year. That's why we released the best of 1995. It was last year we did that one from memory. Um, I had to check our little master sheet of what rounds are on what releases and titles. Mm. So there's... Four of the ten from 95 yet to be released. The Simmons Plains, Phillip Island, Lakeside and Winton, uh, as far as I could do the quick count from. So what we do with these is we don't tend to release them by year. We've done a few year-related releases, but we do mm. them by tracks or by eras by of car. Or We've got to come up with a theme. We want to keep it fresh. So I'd say, Matthew, in the journey, those ones somewhere somehow will get a run somehow. We've released more of the Touring Car Championship rounds from the Channel 7 era than we have not. So 1985 mm. to 1996, we've released more than half of what's available there. So there's still plenty of other stuff to, to dig out, plus more touring car rounds as well. So um, keep your eyes peeled for, for down the track uh, as well. Peter Alexander is a Ford nut. We know this about Peter because he sends a lot of Ford-related questions. As um, this one is by the looks of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been listening to the Marcus Marshall podcast that we did a, a few weeks ago. And he heard that the 888 FG Falcon that was destined for the team inter racing team that Marcus was driving for is the car that became the 888 Holden ride car um, development mule in the end. And he says, would it be possible to reverse engineer it back to FG spec and for it to eventually race in Super 3? Look, it's all metal, so it's not impossible. Well, it's probably too far gone. But the, the reality is it never raced as an FG. No. And to be eligible, it's got to have race history mm. as what you're going to race it as. So, yeah. um, Was that car ever registered as a V8 supercar? Because uh, it never so. raced, so no. it would never have had to have been. No, no. So that's the that's the first 888 Commodore. It, they, they'd started, 888 had started building um, 
they built, well, I think, a bunch of seven of them at the start of 2009. Mm. And this was an, another one after that, which was for Inter, that started in a BF and, and never got out of it because the team collapsed before it got much further. There was an announcement somewhere along the line that Triple Eight were going to build a ride car. Mm. So I presume, and at the time, they were still running FG Falcon race cars. So the plan, it was an FG chassis underneath. Mm. It was going to be a Falcon ride car because, of course, teams didn't really want to use their race cars all the time for ride days. They wanted yeah. to be able to. Well, it's discussed with the way they prep, they prep them in the races. Yeah, like, correct. Yeah. Exactly right. So. Um, that's where that came to be. That's the car that Jensen Button drove at Albert Park and at Bathurst as well. Mm. A bunch of different people have driven it across the journey on ride days and ultimate speed comparisons at the Grand Prix and, and all sorts of stuff over the over the journey. But it's you couldn't race it in Super Three. You couldn't. Mm. You, you could if you spent a lot of money, put it back to an FG. But it never raced as an FG. It was never registered as an FG. Yeah. Wouldn't be eligible for um for Super Three anyway. And the other element is that Super 3 is the goalposts are going to change there anyway. Mm. So Super 2 is going to be for the ZBs and the Mustangs when they go into there and the older car of the future cars, the Altimas, the VF, Commodore, the what else, the FG, Falcon, um, they'll be in essence Super 3 cars. Mm. So all those pre-2013 cars will be out and I, I guess that's probably a question for us to ask Australian Racing Group, do they revive... What was V8 touring cars? You would think, surely there's... Surely you'd have to. Yeah. You'd think so. So, um, I think we've answered that one, haven't we? I yeah, think so. basically. Yeah. Um, nice thought, though. Peter's always thinking about this stuff. Mm. Good question. Good question. Adam Hudson. Besides Peter Brock, who has the most race starts in the number 05? Now... It's a good question. It's a great I like question. That. I spent some time with our AN1 data analyst, Shane Rogers, during the week to split through the race results to figure out who was the co-driver that I mean there's a few logical people that you would presume yeah, but then people you drill, co-drove with 05 yeah but the then 05. you drill a bit more on other events that are a bit off the radar and and things like that over the journey and you actually find quite a few interesting races that you've forgotten about so it's in my mind it's Jim Richards that would make a lot of sense because of course there were what Four Bathurst 1000 mm-hmm. starts together, three yep. of which ended in victories. Yep. Um, then he came back and drove with Brock in 88, admittedly at Bathurst and at Wellington yeah. in 56. Yep. But there were Enduros before that. Oran Park, they Oran- won. Yes. Brock's only win in a BMW. Yep. And Sandown. Yep. The 05, I was yep. there, I saw it. Uh The 78 Rothmans 500, the car went out early, uh, but Jim was the co-driver, so that counts. Yep. The 96 Bathurst Super Touring Support Race, <laughs> where he yes. drove the Brock, the Brock Volvo because Brock was committed to HRT for the weekend. Yep. So I've got seven. We Thomas Mazira did six, Santana Bathurst three years in a row. Oh, yep. Uh, Andrew Medici did quite a few. Ah, uh, yes. 1990 yeah. Sierras at uh, Sandown, Eastern Creek, Wellington and Pookie, and then in the Commodore the next year at Sandana Bathurst. Mm. Larry um, would have done a few. Not as many as you think, though. Five, at least. Well, how many Bathurst City do they do? 82, 3, 4. Yep. Sandown in 84. Yep. That's it. And the Nissan Mobile races in 91. Oh, yeah. So, what does that get him to? I think that gets him to six. That's six. So, he's one short of Jim. Yeah. Okay. A lot of sixes here. A lot of sixes. Thomas, Mediki, Perkins. But Jim stands yeah. out on top. 
Yeah. As he does on most record books when you <laughs> yes. when you add it up. If you ever have a category of most wins in just about anything. It's probably Jim. Um, yeah, it's probably Jim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's probably somewhere up there. So, yeah. yeah, there you go. Next question from Chris Williams. How many different types slash brands of gearboxes or transaxles have been used since the start of five-litre touring cars in 1993? Jeez, we're getting nerdy today, aren't we? <laughs> massive tech, massive mechanical uh, deep diving here. You're asking the two least technical people. <laughs> Well, we I, know facts and information, so we couldn't tell you how they no, work. I'm, I have a tip. I have a tip. Okay. Um, well, let's go backwards. Cool, cool. So, if you go backwards, the X tracks the current transaxle in the supercars in, mm-hmm. in the main game. Yeah. The Albans was the previous one prior yep. to that. The Hollinger gearbox was the, and there's a few There's iterations forms, of yep. gearboxes from Hollinger over the years. There was sequential, and there was H pattern, but there yep. was also a couple of different designations within. Yeah, that's right. I reckon some of those very early five-litre cars, maybe a Gary Wilmington or similar used a Getrag. Yep, that would make sense. I reckon a couple of those just filtered across. And the other one that I just remember the other day because someone mentioned it to me, Richard Mork ran a four-speed in his Commodore in the late 90s. Really? Yep. Yep. The VP before he VR'd it, that at one stage had a four-speed in it. True story. There you go. So there's one that would have uh, won some pub trivia, that's for sure. Uh, so I think that's I didn't count up how many that was, but that's four or five. Yeah, bit of gearbox memory lane. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> you sound genuinely shocked. I I genuinely am. A four speeder in a V eight supercar era is quite I think quite it's the, the only four speed supercar in history. <laughs> yeah, well, one that rolled out of the pits with four gears. A few have come back with four <laughs> working gears left, but um, that's true. Yep, yeah. True. Next question from Zach Dowdle. Any plans for a book on the history of Super Two? Oh, no plans. Yeah. No plans. It'd be cool. Oh, yeah. But it'd need a corporate partner to help fund it because it simply wouldn't have the sales appeal. I don't think that some of the other book titles that we do do or we plan to do, 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 if that makes sense. Yeah. So, it would be a cool book, but, yeah, it needs that commercial viability to, it, for it to make sense. Yeah. Not far away from the 25th anniversary. Wow. That's snuck two, up. 2000, Konica V8 Lights is when it started. Yeah. So if you count the season, what are we now? Uh, yeah, I mean, 2025, 23rd season. Yeah, you could do the 25th season. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, uh, look, if someone threw us some corporate money and put their logos all over it and helped pay for it and to create it, I'd be up for it. But uh, it would have to fit into our schedule. We've got a pretty busy schedule of what we've got on the cook, what we're planning for next year and for beyond. So we tend to work sort of 18 months out from um, what books we're going to do and when we're going to do them. So thanks for the question, Zach. Thanks, everyone, for the questions mm. that have rolled in on this Q&A edition of the podcast. Don't forget to, I keep saying it, but please head to our website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Bunch of DVDs, bunch of books, perfect gifts for Christmas and for Father's Day. Uh, we've got a pre-owned section. We've got some mm. really cool motorsport gems, old race programs from the 70s, 80s, 90s. If you're looking for something in particular that's not on there, send us a message. We might have it here in uh, the boxes, but we just haven't got around to putting it up on the website yet. Um, full years of various years of motorsport news and auto action magazines. So if you're digging for a particular history on a car or you're trying to fill a collection up, uh, drop us a note, have a look on the website. If you don't see what you're after, shoot us a note because there's every chance of sitting here in under our feet here in the boxes yes. in the office. There's a lot of stuff around here. We at the have, yes, we have a very uh, content-rich environment here. <laughs> that's, that's a good way of putting <laughs> at, it. At the absolute headquarters, uh, we've got it all going on. So thanks again, everyone. We, we'll do these Q&As a little bit more over the course of the rest of the year. We've got some special 
plans cooking for the pods for the rest of the year. Don't forget Repco Supercars Weekly every Tuesday with the latest in the Repco Supercars Championship. In the meantime, though, we are done. Uh, thanks again for listening. We will be back next Wednesday with another edition of the V8 Super Podcast powered by Repco. Check you there.